Well, there's a number of ideas that come out in this movie, this Top Gun movie, that, that we could talk about and point out. But, but our main thought today is this, because the movie is so edgy, is, it's right there. Living on the edge. That's what I encourage you to do, live on the edge. And today, uh, as we think about living on the edge, uh, I want us to think about asking ourselves a simple question, and that is, like, how am I living on the edge? Am I living on the edge? Like, am I out there on the front line edge of what God is doing? Or am I somewhere back there playing it safe? Because it's real easy as Christians. We come in with our mindset on being on the front line, being on the edge. We love this. We've accepted Jesus. In fact, we were there. And, and something happens over time and we slowly fall behind. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and pretty soon 20, 30 years have gone by, and we're nowhere near the front line. And so this morning, my encouragement is to live on the edge, living on the edge. And I want to share two main thoughts with you about living on the edge. And we're going to look at a passage, uh, actually the chapter of, in Matthew chapter 10. So go to Matthew 10 with me. We're going to spend some time right here in Matthew 10. Great passage of Scripture. Jesus, Jesus sends out the 12. He's going to send out the 12. They've been walking with him a little bit. He's named them as apostles, and uh, we're going to get their names here in a minute. And then he sends them out into the world. It's like he sends them out to get a taste of what the mission is like, like to, to get a taste of what it's like to, to be out there on the front lines, in the neighborhoods, in the communities, in the darkness, bringing the gospel of Jesus to the world. He's going to send them out and he's going to basically like slap them on the butt and say, go, go live on the edge. And that's what they're going to go do. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love this. And so what he does is he gives them instructions for, for, for flying in the fire, for going out into the fire. And, and there's some things that we're going to see here. In, in Matthew chapter 10, look what it says. Jesus called, if you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you've got your apps, teenagers, you got your apps loaded up yet? Cole, got your app up? All right, Cole, you're the man. Alex, got your app? Andy, does he got his app up? What is that, a game? Is he playing some kind of game? Play, oh, Jesus games. Okay. I didn't know Mario was a Jesus game. We tried. We talked about it in our, in our Bible study class, you know, being ready to go. Okay. Jesus calls the 12 together, the 12 disciples, to himself, and he gave them authority to drive out, look at this, evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Notice this is the 12. He calls the 12 to himself, and he gives them authority to do these things. And then in verses 22 through 4, he gives us the names of the apostles. These are the 12. Verse 5, these 12, these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions, and that's what we're trying to get after here. He says this, lots of good stuff here, and, and there's a lot, so just kind of like absorb it, and we're going to kind of go over it a little bit. He says, do not go among the Gentiles, so he gives them who to go to. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who are sick or, or have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Wow, that's crazy, isn't it? Do not get any silver or any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirts or sandals or a staff, for workers are worth their keep. In other words, just go. Pick up and go. Don't grab nothing. Don't get anything. Just go. I'll take care of you. Trust me. Verse 9, do not, or I'm sorry, verse 11. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at that person's house until you leave. As you enter home, give your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave the, town, the home or the town. Truly, I tell you, it would be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Pretty intense instructions, right? Verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. 
be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils to be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, I will give, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and father as ch- uh, his children. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but those who stand firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one, t- in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Students are not above their teacher, nor servants above their master. It is enough for a student to be like their teacher and a servant to be like their master. If, if the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What, I, what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever publicly acknowledges me, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever publicly disowns me, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be your members of your own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes someone known to be a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes someone known to be righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is is known to be my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly be rewarded. I know there's a lot there, a lot, of, a lot of good stuff there in that chapter. But Jesus is getting these 12 ready to go. He's talking to them, giving them instructions on flying into the fire. They're going to go out into the fire in, in, in just a short period of time, and he's telling them what they can expect as they go. This is living on the edge. I mean, can you imagine being one of those 12 at that, at the, at that time in history when, when Jesus calls these 12 together and you're one of those and he's telling you, you're going to go out into the world, you're going to go proclaim the gospel. You've never done this before. You've heard Jesus done it. You've seen Jesus do it. You've seen some of the results he's gotten. And now he's like imparted this power and authority to you and you're going to get to go and do what Jesus has been doing. How amazing is that, right? Like how scary and how thrilling all at the same time. You might leave your lunch back there, but you're going to grab on and you're going to go, right? You're going to say, I'm getting in the cockpit and let's go. How cool is that? That's living, right? That's living on the edge. I mean, that is living on the edge. That's unbelievable living on the edge. As you watch these fighter jets fly, if, if you've been to an air show, everybody in here been to an air show? Probably most everybody has, maybe, maybe not all. But if you live near an Air Force base, I, I just they have a t-shirt I wanted to buy one. It said, I love jet noise. And I do. I love it. When I hear one of those jets fly by, and you could tell it's a fighter jet different than an airplane, like a, just a regular plane. When you hear one of those jets fly by, you just I just look up and go, that thing is too cool. I wish I was in it like right now. Because they're going faster than anyone else, and <laughs> they're going further than anyone else, and they're more dangerous than anyone else. But what an amazing thing to be like on the edge, living on the edge like that, like of, of, the, of the danger zone. 
And so if we're gonna, if we're gonna do this, if we're gonna live on the edge, the first thing we gotta do is this. Get into the danger zone. That's number one. Get into the danger zone. Now, you're probably thinking about your own life and you're thinking, I am nowhere near the danger zone. My sofa is so comfortable and my, you know, 90 inch screen TV is like amazing. I feel like I'm at the theater and, uh, I got, you know, surround sound everywhere and, uh, the fridge is packed with everything I could ever imagine and I am not living anywhere near the danger zone. How many of you are guilty? Don't put your hands up. Okay, most of us. Why? Because the enemy is day by day, moment by moment, moved us from the front lines to the comfort zone. We're not in the danger zone. We're in the comfort zone. That's where we are. And we wake up one day and we realize, when did this happen? Like, how long have I been here? When the action is out there, and I'm way back here, nowhere near. We, you know, we live in a world of risk-taking things. You know, everybody is out to take risks, right? We've talked about this before, bungee jumping and skydiving and going as fast as you can. And like, like we, people like to live as close to the edge as they can without dying. Like even to the point of hanging off the cliff. You know, you see pictures of these crazy rock climbing people who are hundreds of feet up. Or these guys who put on these suits and they look like... They look like birds, you know, they open up their arms and they, they got wings and stuff and they spread their legs and it's all like all canvas and they just like, whoa, off a cliff and they're flying like a bird. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen these things, right? Am I making this up? Okay. I mean, how crazy is that? That is like insane to go off the cliff with just a bodysuit on, like no parachute. You just, you're, you just turn yourself into a bird and you're just going to like glide on the wind or you're going to die. One or the other is going to happen, right? Either the wind's going to do its thing or you're going to die. You're going to smash against rocks and you're not going to live. We live like that. You know, there's people out there all over the place and you once probably had that in you. Yeah, one time in your life, you're like, man, I am going for it all. I'm going to live on the edge. I'm going to go rock climbing and bungee jumping and all this crazy stuff. And slowly but surely, you got older, like I'm older. And, and those things get like ripped out of us and robbed from us. And that, that desire to be out there on those front lines kind of goes away with it for some reason. We send our soldiers out into dangerous places across seas, right, to fight terrorism, to fight against evil oppressors. And we put them in harm's way, right, because, because we know the good that will result, hopefully, in this. Right? And we live, we, we are a people who like to live, we're risk takers, we love to live dangerous life. When it comes to the kingdom of God, the danger zone is the dark world around all of us. It's in your neighborhoods, it's all around every one of us. People that we know, people that we work with, people that we, we, we have a relationship with. They are living in and out of this dark world around us, right? Not just our neighbors, not just like at schools and, and at malls or the towers coming down, but spiritual forces and spiritual powers that confuse people and torment and motivate people to do evil. That's the darkness that we live in. All, it's all around us. You don't have to go far to find it. It might even be in your own home. It might be in your own neighborhood. It might be in your own family. People that you know very well. People that you work right next to who are battling against these spiritual forces of darkness. And they're living in the danger zone and they're on the wrong side of the danger zone. They're the victims. They're the ones being attacked by these things spiritual forces and these powers that are in dark places. And the cool thing about our call in Jesus is that he calls us as the light to penetrate the darkness, right? To impact the darkness with the gospel. I mean, he called us to do that, to take the good news of what Jesus has done, that he can break every chain and every bond, and he can free anyone who wants and we get to take that message and we get to take that spirit of God living in us and we get to go and penetrate the darkness and share that with the world around us. How amazing is that, right? As followers of Christ, we must invade dark spaces. We got to. We have to. In fact, we are called to. And you are called to nothing else but that. 
If we're called to do anything, it's to share the gospel with the lost world. And, and there's going to be times when the reality of the danger is going to shake you like and really mess with you, because it does. When you see things that are in the danger zone, when you see things that are truly in darkness and you're in there trying to help people, you see things that will shake you. They'll cause you to want to retreat. And so many do. They stop, it's too hard, and, and we start backpedaling, looking forward, going backwards like a crayfish, crawfish, right? And there are going to be times when the danger zone will actually get dangerous, and you might get hurt or you might die. That's why it's called the danger zone, right? See, in these moments, in these moments Jesus tells us to stand firm. He tells us to stand firm and hold on to the faith, to know that God puts you right where you are in that very moment for such a time as that. He's with you, and he will deliver you. Like we said last week, he will help you escape. Okay? He will be with you. You and me as disciples, we have decided, right? We made a decision that we're going to follow Jesus into the danger. That's the decision you made. Did you realize that? We didn't say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you into a building and sit in a pew. We said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you into a dark world and reach the lost. That's what we agreed to. That's what we said we would do. When we accepted the call, we accepted a call to get out of the comfort zone and into the danger zone. That's what we accepted. We accepted a mission to go into all the world. Not safe places, but into the world, into the deep dark places of our, our, our community, our neighborhoods, our area, Burlington, North Carolina, anywhere that we can go and bring the gospel. We, we said, we said no matter where he leads me, I will follow, right? You sang that for a number of years. I wonder if it's still true. Is it still true? Where he leads me, I will follow, or do we just turn off the leading part? We don't want to hear where he's leading us because we like it where we are so much. We said no matter what the cost, we'll pay the price. That's what we said when we put our hand to the plow, when we said, Jesus, I will follow you because we realized that the rescue mission of Jesus is worth living for and it's worth dying for. Right? That's what we said we would do. And nothing in all of creation compares to God's glorious work and his eternal promises. Nothing compares to it. And we engage. We engage in this because we know the treasure that we have come to know. We know the treasures that we have found, right? And they outweigh anything this world can give. The treasures that we have in Jesus. And we want other people to have them, don't we? Yes, that's what we want, other people to have what we have found. And if you think following Jesus is dangerous, it's more dangerous to not follow him. Right? And there's one other place that's not a good place to be, and that's following Jesus from a distance. That's even worse. See, when we said we're going to follow, we meant it at the time. But the enemy is really good at slowly boiling us away from God, away from the mission, away from the cause, away from the front lines. In this passage in, in Matthew 10, uh, Jesus, like he, if you're looking at it, he points out lots of things, but he points out the dangers. Look what there are, some of the dangers he points out. He says, rejection is to be expected. You're going to be rejected. If you're sharing the good news of Jesus with the world, there's going to be people who don't want to hear it. We already decide that's okay. It's fine. We're going to share anyway. We're going to do our part. We're going to do, we're going to be obedient to Jesus, not the evil one telling us not to share. Right? We're going to be obedient to the one who called us to go share. If, if, we're, going to, if we're going to follow Jesus into the world and into the danger zone, wolves are going to attempt to attack you. They're going to attack you. You will be attacked. Just know that. If you're going to follow Jesus into the danger zone, families will be divided. There's going to be people in your own blood who are not going to agree with what you believe. That's okay. That's okay. If you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to point out this danger that you are not to fear those who can kill the flesh because they can't touch your soul. She says, don't fear those who can kill your flesh. 
You could die if you're truly going to follow Jesus and live life on the edge in the middle of the danger zone. You could get hurt, but so what? So what? And he says, if you're truly a follower, there's a cross to be carried. Where's yours? It's a pretty powerful passage, right? It's a pretty powerful section of Scripture when Jesus calls these 12 to go out into the world and share the gospel, to get out into the front lines, to really live life to the fullest, like with this adrenaline rush of being in the cockpit of the fastest fighter jet in the world, Jesus, and going full speed ahead into the world out there on the danger zone, out there where, where it's dangerous, where, where good can happen, out on the front lines. See, Jesus came to rescue us from the fires of hell and the dangers of the evil one. That's what he came to do. And he calls us, look at this, he calls us from the madness, he forgives us, he heals us, and he fills us. Isn't that good? Everyone say, amen. And then he sends you back out into the fire to rescue others. We don't like that part. See, the problem is we don't want to go back in there. We came out of that. We know it's dangerous. We don't want any part of that. And we've got comfortable basking in the blessings. Right? We've got comfortable basking in the blessings of Jesus to go out and rescue others who are in the fire. Comfortably numb. Some of you might recognize that came out of a song back in the day comfortably numb we've become comfortably numb let that sink in for a minute right see the 12 they have been part of this inner circle of jesus right he's been working with them and they've been having like kumbayas and campfire songs and they've been hanging out and really getting to know jesus and watching him do miracles but now but now He's going to send them out. Now it's time to go. Now it's time to get to work. And he's going to send them out into the danger zones, and they're going to learn a lot on the way, right? They're going to learn a lot. It's time to take it to the streets. See, we got to make no mistake about it. We are commanded to get into the danger zone. In this passage, in, in Matthew 10, Jesus calls the 12 to himself, and he gives them instructions and authority, and then he sends them out in verse 5. So he goes, goes. he sends them. He doesn't ask for volunteers. He says, if you're going to follow me, go. Those are your own, that's your only option. It isn't, you're going to follow me, retreat. It's, you're going to follow me, then go. There's only one direction in following Jesus, and that's out to the danger zone, to the front lines, to where you're living life to the fullest. And just before he instructs them on getting into the danger zone, he expresses this really big need. If you back up in chapter 9, the very end of chapter 9, look what it says. Verse 35, when Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's what we're dealing with in the danger zone. That's what's happening on the front lines. There's people that are being beat up and pushed around and beat down by the evil one. And God has saved you to go out there and help them and rescue them, right? That's what he's called us to do as believers. Look what he says. Because they are harassed like uh, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, and this is the problem, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. You see what he says? He says the harvest is huge. There's all kinds of people in this town that are dying and going to hell right now. The, uh, the harvest is humongous, and the workers just a handful. Plenty of people claiming to follow, but not too many going out and doing it. Not too many on the front line. We got a whole group back there on the back lines hanging out and having a good time, eating hot dogs and pizza parties and watching their big screen TVs. And that's fine. We have to retreat at some point, but we got to also then go back out on the front lines. Problem is, the space between the front lines and the retreat is getting too big. Now it's years, maybe, maybe decades for some, right? 
And Jesus says, that's not where I called you to follow me. I called you to follow me to the front lines. Get out there and stay out there. Don't come back here, right? It's like, it's like your little kid, like your little child, you know, you're teaching him to dive off the diving board and he just keeps wanting to walk back off that thing. And you're like standing on the end saying, no, 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 no. Get out there and go. You can do this. Because you know once they do, they're going to be like, I want to do it again and again and again, right? You know that. Jesus knows that. Don't you come back here. Get out there where I sent you. Get out there where I called you to be. Go out there and share the good news. He says the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And then he says, here's what you should be doing right now as a church. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. That's what I'm doing. That's what I hope our leadership is doing. I hope that's what you're doing. You're saying, God, send out workers into the harvest field. Send out me first. Because if I'm not willing to go, then I shouldn't be willing to push others to go either. That's the big need, right? The Lord of the harvest. Living on the edge. Number one, get into the danger zone. Number two, we see this in the movie, be a good wingman. Be a good wingman. Right? You see the scene, the scene that, uh, you know, they're fighting these MiG fighter pilots and they, uh, Maverick comes back in and he ends up taking them out. He freaked out there for a minute. And he comes back in and he wipes them out. Pulls a couple of real cool maneuvers. I get back on the ground. And remember, it's Iceman and Maverick and they're kind of battling each other. You know, they're both uh, male dominant alpha guys and they're like this the whole time. But they get back on the ground and Iceman says to Maverick, you can be my wingman anytime. And Maverick says to him, you can be my wingman. <laughs> right? That's that scene. A wingman. So, so what's a wingman? What's a wingman? According to Urban, Urban Dictionary, a wingman is Cole. This is for you. Cole, a wingman is the guy you bring with you and you're looking for a girlfriend. It's your wingman. Okay? Keep that in mind. Okay, that's what a wingman is according to Urban Dictionary and, you know, teenage slang. But a wingman to the military, I love this section, I love this, originally had to do with being part of a bigger team. Like not just a wingman, two people, but a wingman as that we're all wingmen together, having each other's backs. For, for an airman or a, flight, a fighter pilot, it means providing air support or watching another six. That's what I had to do with being a wingman, being a, being a good wingman. The idea is far more than even that. It's more than taking care of each other, okay? Because we can talk about taking care of each other and really do nothing. It's more than that. It's way more than that. It's got this multi-focused, three-pronged idea behind this military talk of being a good wingman or being combat ready, which is what Jesus calls his disciples to go and do. He says, you're going out into the fire. I know you're not totally ready. You don't know what's going to happen. But I'm going to be with you, and you just go, and we'll deal with issues as they arise. And as they arise, you're going to see victory after victory after victory, and you're going to see me work and do amazing things in your life if you'll go out there. That's what Jesus is saying to these 12. Well, in the military, and we need to ask ourselves this question right now, is am I, am I a good wingman? And, and I'm talking about a spiritual, in a spiritual way. When I think about this body, when I think about the church, the local church, am I a good wingman to my brothers and sisters in this place? Am I a good wingman? Well, we're going to talk about that, and you, you can decide if you're a good wingman. First thing a good wingman uh, provides is, or that's wrapped up in this idea of being a good wingman is mutual support. Mutual support. That means to be on the lookout for threats. And you need to relate this to how this affects you in the body of Christ and in your giftedness as a believer in the kingdom of God, right? A, a, a wingman, a good wingman has this idea of mutual support that we're looking out for threats and that we're ready to voice at any moment this alert, change heading now. It's a change heading now alert, right? So like if, if fighter pilots are up in the air and there's five or three or however many there are and one of them detects a thunderstorm coming up, he gives this alert, change heading now. And the lead pilot has to change the course, right? They move, they go somewhere else. But it's because one of the others was watching out for each other. It's a team thing. Mutual support. 
And the same thing is true when they were on the ground, right, at the local katina. If one of the team members is headed for danger, one of the other members sounds the alert, change your heading now. It's powerful, isn't it? Christians, believers living like this. Could you imagine what that would be like? Mutual support is protection. It's to sense when a problem arises and ready to intervene no matter what the risk. No matter what the risk. It's one young person telling another young person to quit drinking or to quit smoking or to stop doing what they're doing at the risk of losing the friendship. Mutual support. That's what it means to be a wingman. Are you a good wingman? And to who are you a good wingman? Second thing is this. Well, the Bible says, the scripture says this in John 15, no greater love has anyone than this than one lay down his life for a friend. That's mutual support, right? Being willing to lay down your life for somebody else, for another, right? Kingdom wingmen are ready to jump in the line of fire for one another. That's the intensity and the depth of mutual support among the military people, at least that's the goal, and, and even more so in the church, right? That's, that's where Jesus calls us to, that kind of love and care for one another. Second thing is this situational awareness, right? The second thing is situational awareness. I love this. Not just one's own situation, right? It's not just being concerned about your own situation, but the situations that face the team. Like how many of us are really in tune with what's facing this team, this church, this body? Are you really aware of any of it? Situational awareness in the military and in the church ought to be even higher is this, 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 this intensity of, of helping one another, being aware in all situations and in all circumstances to be like sober-minded and ready at all times to do what is best for the team. That's what it means, situational awareness. Right? If, you've ever, if you've ever seen like the Blue Angels fly, anybody seen the Blue Angels fly? i got a picture right here for you. Blue Angels. Check this out. Push. There it is. Okay. That's insane right there, by the way. We got upside down planes, right side up planes, all in this like this maneuvering pattern. But but it gets even more intense. Check this out. So the blue angels, they fly in formation, right? Performing like um, these flying maneuvers. At the rate of at the rate of Mach 1.8. Now, some of you may know what Mach means. Some of you probably don't have a clue. I did not. But Mach 1 is the speed of what? The speed of sound, right? Mach 1. So, so Mach 1.8 is almost twice the speed of sound. That equivalent is 1,382 miles per hour. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never gone that fast in my car. Davis may have come close in his truck, probably. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so we've gone, you know, maybe you hit 100. Don't raise your hand here, okay? Maybe those of you who have cars who can actually do that. Tracy, that's what I was pointing to, Tracy. Some of you may have hit 100, and you know what that's like. Or, you know, if you fly in an airplane, uh, a comfortable uh, uh, altitude cruising is about 500 miles an hour. So you actually, if you've flown in a plane, have gone 500 miles an hour. At takeoff, it's like 700 miles an hour. And then it cruises at about 500. So you've gone 500 miles an hour, but in a big plane, you don't even really realize it, right? You feel like you're barely moving. You're just up there cruising. But these dudes, 1,300 miles an hour. <laughs> could you imagine the G-force at takeoff? I mean, could you imagine you being just splattered back at your seat? You didn't leave lunch back there. You left your colon back there and everything else. Like, like you are clean. You had everything just redone. It's gone. It's out. 1,300 miles an hour. And that's the F-18. The F-15 can push almost three Mach, Mach 3. That's insane. That's insane. So watching these planes fly is so cool. The F-18 goes about 1.8. The F-15 pushes about three. And, and here's the next picture. This is my buddy, Bo. My buddy, Bo. Bevel, there's his name right up there, Bo Bevel. He's, uh, he flies with the um, Fat Albert in the Blue Angels. And uh, he flies in that big old plane. Those things are huge. But here's the thing about all this, is this. 
you, you, you realize, we realize that it's, it's not enough. Like with these planes that are flying, oh, the other thing about it is they're flying Mach 1.8, which is 1,300 miles an hour. And in, at times, they're only 18 inches apart. 18 inches. Like you go down the highway at 80 and cars fly by you maybe, maybe five feet, six feet away from you, and you're like, okay, I got this. You're in your lane, at least you hope. And they're going by 80 miles. These guys are going 1,300 miles an hour, and they're 18 inches apart. That's, that's incredible. So here's the thing. Situational awareness. You realize that it's not enough just to know where you are. You must be mindful of where your teammates are and any slight changes that they are experiencing as well as yourself. Like there's an intensity in being aware of not just yourself because we're all just concerned about ourselves, but also our brothers and our sisters in the kingdom of God in the church as we work together. This situation awareness is about us watching out just not just for us, but for our brothers and our sisters. And if you fail to do so, in-air collisions happen, resulting in loss of life. Situational awareness is to know your role and your position as it fits into the role and the position of those on your team. That's what situational awareness is all about. The Bible says it like this. So in Christ, in Romans 12, so in Christ we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. There's a oneness in the body of Christ that is greater than anything else out there. And kingdom wingmen realized that they are joined to others. Are you joined to others? Are you a good wingman? Are you a good wingman? Are you in the danger zone? Are you a good wingman? The third thing is this individual uh, reliability. Third thing that uh, they will tell you in the military as far as being a good wingman is, is individual reliability. And that means accountability and dependability. This has to do with each member of the team being in position and ready at all times. Wow. Is that, is that even, I mean, are we even close? Like, is the church even close to this as individual members? Are we even anywhere near this? Like individual, that's me individual reliability that you can rely on me and I can rely on you and we can rely on each other so much that we don't even have to think twice about it. We know you're going to be there. That, you're, that you don't even have to think about your teammates ever not being there because you know that they are there. And, and they know without a doubt that, that you can count on them that if you fall backwards or you fall sideways, you fall in whatever direction, your teammates are going to be there to catch you. And you are just relying on them to be there without even looking because, because you're present and because they're present and because you're in place and because they're in place and because we're all on high alert and we're out watching out for our brothers. See, it's a call not to lower our involvement, but it's the call to the highest level of involvement in the military and even so much more in the church, right? Our level of, of awareness and alertness and reliability ought to be greater than anything else on the planet, right? If we truly believe this stuff, it would be. If we truly bought all in, if we were truly like all in for God, we would be right where we need to be in the kingdom of God and in his body as, as, as individually reliable people, right? Not lowering us. That's what happens in the church so many times. People think others will do it, you know? Others will do it. And so we lower our, our, our individual uh, involvement. We don't raise it. We lower it. And we leave people hanging. And a handful of people are doing everything. If you start something new, it's the same handful of people coming to that, same handful of people doing that. And that's not individual reliability at all as a body. See, your individual reliability is being in position so that your teammates never have to wonder if you are there. They just know 100% with confidence that you are right where you are to be, like a well-oiled machine. Got a long way to go, don't we? Bible says it like this in 1 Corinthians 12, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer. If one part rejoices, all the parts rejoice, right? There's a unity there. There's oneness there. This is knowing each other so well. Kingdom wingmen are in tune with each other deeply. 
deeply. So God calls us to be good wingmen, but not just good wingmen, but good kingdom wingmen. Now that's a whole nother level. Like everything we said is already like up here, and now God's going to raise it a whole nother notch up here and say, if you're in the kingdom of God, if you are a believer in Christ and a follower of Jesus into the danger zone, into the front lines, then your call to be a good wingman for the kingdom is so much greater than any other call in the world. Nothing even compares. Nothing even comes close. So all those things that we just talked about, being a good wingman, military talk, these are that and much more. Right? We, we should be so much more alert and in tune and together. Right? Shouldn't we? You understand? You know what I mean. So, so a good kingdom wingman. Not just a good wingman, but a good kingdom wingman. And being our brother's keeper is just to be expected. Aware of the threat, the devil, you know, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and, and us being aware and watching out for each other is just, just, just expected, should be part of it. So there's a few other things real quick that, that a good kingdom wingman is, and the first thing is this, personal giftedness, right? The first question we ask as a kingdom-minded person is, what is my giftedness? Where is God, what is God doing in my life? That's the question we all need to ask ourselves, what is God doing in my life personally? Because the scripture says in 1 Peter that each one has been given a spiritual gift to use, to serve one another, administering God's grace in its various forms, right? So God calls us to know our gift. Jesus, remember, Jesus sends out the 12, and this is so cool because he calls them, he sends them out, gives them this authority, he, he sends them with all kinds of ministry to do, whatever comes your way, you know, heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the good news, all these different things, right? And they're like scratching their head thinking, how are we going to do this? We don't even really know how to do this very well, but we're going to go, Jesus, because you say go. And he's got all these works to do, and what they're going to do is discover in the process what their giftedness is. This is, like, this is like Jesus saying, just go. And while you're going, you're going to figure out what I'm doing in your life. But if you don't go, you will never figure it out. If you retreat, you're not going to learn anything. You're only going to learn on the front edge, on the front lines. That's where you learn what God is doing in your life. That's where Jesus called me into this. I would have never been here, ever, in my life, ever. I told you where I would be. Colorado in the Rocky Mountains, right? The only reason I'm here is because, because I just listened and I just served in a community in, in Hot Springs, Arkansas, like the middle of nowhere, right? Down there where the, there's hot springs and cold springs and, and El Capone and all kinds of other craziness. In the middle of the hills, I just decided God was calling me to just go and do something. And I just went and did it. And then he called me to do something else. <laughs> and it didn't stop. And here I am today. Right? It just doesn't stop. But it would never have happened if I didn't go first and just do whatever it was he was calling me to do and, and begin. And he sends these guys out. He's got work for them to do. They're going to discover their giftedness. And what Jesus is doing is teaching them to explore by doing. That's what they're going to learn. That is the greatest lesson we can learn here today is he calls them, gives them authority, tells them to go, and while they're going, they're going to learn so much. So much. Second thing is this, commit to the team. Number one is gifted, personal giftedness. What is God doing first in each of us individually? Write that down. What is he doing in me? You need to have an answer for that question. Number two is this, commit to the team. Second question is this that we ask, is how do I connect with my church family? How do I connect with what God is doing in me with what God is doing in us? Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, Proverbs says, right? And that's exactly true. When we work together and we move together and God blends us together and we understand our giftedness, great things happen. We get out on the front lines. We bring each other there. We pull each other there. We keep um, giving you opportunities. Look, the front lines are out there. Who wants to come? Who wants to come? Anybody want to get out of a pew and come? That's what preachers feel like a lot true. It's true. It's just flat true. Commit to the team. See, as the 12 go, here's what's happening as they're going there, not there. Back there, all that happens is people get fat and lazy 
and they just hang out. You know, nothing good happens back there. But when you decide you're going there, when you decide you're going to get out of the seats and go forward, here's what happens. You become closer. There's a bond that's going to form with these, these 12 that no one's going to be able to break. Yeah, they're going to have their weak moments and their shaky times, but in the end, they're going to write the New Testament. In the end, they're going to change the world. In the end, they're going to die for the God they claim to serve. Oh my goodness, that's all that happens out there. Back there, it's nice and safe. It's nice and safe. You want to go back there? Go hang out back there. I don't want to be back there. I want to be out there. I don't know about you, but I hope you want to be there. Commit to the team, personal giftedness, and the third thing is this, impact the world. See, that's what a good kingdom wingman does. Understands their own abilities, understands how it ties to the body, and understand that the mission is to impact the world. What does God want to do through us and through me together in the dark world? And coming to church is not it. It's not it. This is so not it. This is the holy huddle that we get to have. Now, unfortunately for many Christians, this is, this is, this is their Christianity. Coming to sit here and listen to me like proclaim God's word here. Or, or fellowshipping together, or having coffee together. And this is so not it. This is just one little piece of the encouragement that we can give each other so that we can go and do what's really important. There's a mission out there. And God is calling every one of us to it. He's calling us to the front lines, not to retreat, not the comfort zone. Right? we got to make decisions what we're going to do from here on out. See, the 12, these 12 guys, they like hit the streets to share the good news, right? And the primary reason is to save souls. That's why they're going. They're going to save souls. Jesus called them to do all these miracle things, but the primary purpose of them going is to proclaim the kingdom of God that is near and that they can find salvation in Jesus, that people are going to be able to get saved through Christ. And Luke, in this passage, in Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 12. In Luke chapter 10, he's going to send out 72 of them, right? He gathers 72 men, and he groups them up in two by two. And he's got, they each got their own wingmen, and they're going to go out into the world. And he gives them the same instructions. He gives them the same kind of similar uh, instructions and authorities, and he sends them to go. He doesn't ask for volunteers. He sends them to go because they understood that when they decided to follow Jesus, that meant going to the front lines. There is no other line. Not if you're following Jesus, right? There's nowhere else to go except walking away from Jesus. You either walk away from Jesus or you follow him to the front lines. That's it. Like, that's it. And don't you love, I love chapter 11. Look at chapter 11. Flip over the first verse of chapter 11. I love this because it's so much like Jesus. Look what it says. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12, so he gets done with that passage we just read in, in Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 10, and you get to Matthew 11, and he got, gets done uh, instructing his 12, and look what it says. Jesus, he went on from there to teach and to preach in the towns of Galilee. And if you noticed at the end of chapter 9, before the instructing of the 12, it said at the beginning of that, Jesus went through what? All the towns and the villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming. And so in this, this beautiful story of Jesus instructing the 12 to go into the danger zone, before he tells them to do that, he's doing that. And after he sends them to do that, he's doing that again. See, he doesn't tell anyone to do what he's not willing to do. That's good leadership, right? That's the kind of leadership we need to have. That's the kind of leadership we need to follow. And that's the kind of leadership we need to be, right? The kind of people who say to do and we go do it. He's leading by example. And he's doing exactly what he called the 12 to do. And we're called to follow Jesus into the greatest work on the planet. Right. Come on, Jules. We are called to follow him. Think about, just think about this, if you would, just bow your heads for a minute. We are called to follow Jesus into the greatest work on the planet. There is nothing more important than this, than sharing the good news with the world, to share the, with the world the message of God's love and the hope and the eternal salvation and the call to follow Jesus. It is the most loving act that you could ever do for anyone else. You, you, there's nothing that compares to sharing with somebody 
the good news of Jesus and seeing them come to faith. There's nothing greater than that on the planet. To follow means to imitate. It means to be like. It means to carry out his mission. It means to go into the dark places with the light. And we got to ask ourselves, is that happening in our lives? Is that happening in this church? We've got to get out of the pew. Think about these pews and most pews and most auditoriums is they're bolted down. I'm afraid over time those bolts go into our feet and we're as bolted down as they are. And we need to become unleashed, unbolted, and get up and get out. And when we walk out these doors today, to be determined that we're going to the front line, no matter what that might mean, what, no matter what that might look like, no matter where that might be. And we're going to go and serve God till the day we die with everything in us. It's time to start living on the edge. It's time to get into the danger zone and to be really good wingmen for the body of Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us. God, I pray that you would stir us, move us, Draw us, Father, closer to you. We are so comfortable. We're so comfortable in our, in our blessings. We've allowed the enemy to get us so busy doing all of our stuff that we don't have time to go and be on the front lines for you. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll agree that that's totally true. That's completely true about us and this American way. And so, Father, I pray that you'll stir in our hearts, whatever that might be, to create, God, in our hearts and in our minds a fresh new look at how we want to live, that we want to be obedient to you no matter what, not to earn our salvation, but that others will be saved. We've already got the treasures in you. We don't need the treasures of this world. Father, help us to, to stop trading in your treasures for the stuff that will perish and start trading in the stuff that will perish for the things that are eternal. Father, we need you to move in us in a powerful, powerful way. Help us to live on the edge, God. Help us to learn what that means and help us to get busy doing it. We love you so much. You're so good to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.